Welcome to the weekly Mission Red Bank podcast, helping the body of Christ build itself up together in love. Advent is a season of waiting, right? Um, but waiting can be really hard. Do you remember what it was like when you were a little kid and you wanted to talk to your mom and dad? And they, they said, wait, the adults are talking right now. And then, and then they would keep talking. And they would keep talking. And they would keep talking until you just thought you were going to bust, right? My little lower lip would start to quiver. Um, it's like, come on, mom and dad, please, come on. Um, the, the only thing that would kind of give me comfort or like um, help take the sting out of waiting was the promise of a reward or a little treat that would come later, right? What we didn't know then, but what we know now, is that all the waiting that we did as children was just preparation for the rest of life, right? Can't wait to turn 16, can't wait to graduate, to find out, you know, to see if you're going to find someone. You have to wait for test results, you wait in the grocery store line, you wait in the doctor's office, you wait at a traffic light. It's just waiting and waiting. And the thing is, for us, we're also called to wait on the Lord. But this can be difficult and frustrating at times because his timetable and his ways and his purposes are often very different than ours. Oswald Chambers, who wrote the wonderful devotional, My Utmost for My Highest, he has a lot of wisdom. He said, one of the greatest strains in life is the strain of waiting on God. So he advocates that we develop a discipline that he calls spiritual tenacity, which is more than endurance or just hanging in there when it's tough. Uh, It's endurance that's combined with a deep confidence that no matter what, God will keep his promises. As Chamber writes, there's nothing more noble than the human mind has ever hoped for or dreamed of that will not be fulfilled at some point. This type of quiet confidence in the midst of waiting on God not only brings hope and peace, but it brings great, great joy. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today with expectant hearts. We ask that you would meet with us in the still places of our hearts. Father, enlighten us with your word and help us be encouraged, Father God, and to know how to encourage one another. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So on the first Sunday of Advent, we looked at this amazing vision of hope for humanity's future in Isaiah 2. And then last week, in Isaiah 11, um, we heard God's promise to send one who would restore right order to the world and bring peace, even between predator and prey, which are natural-born enemies. This week, we're going to be looking at another remarkable prophecy in Isaiah 35. In context, in the previous chapter, God made it very clear that he was not only upset with Israel because she had become rebellious and was continuing to be unfaithful to him despite all of his many warnings of what the consequences would be, the other nations had deeply offended him as well, and especially those who hated or harmed his people. He states his intention to pull down their power at some unspecified time in the future and to bring such desolation that only the desert and the night creatures would inhabit the ruins. It was a devastating word. Yet even in the midst of this impending devastation, God again speaks a word of restoration and comfort and hope. Isaiah describes a time when the wilderness and desert will bloom again and rejoice with joy and singing because they will see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of God come to them. Then he exhorts God's people to stand steady while they endure the trials and the tribulations that are ahead and wait for his promises to come to pass. 
We've seen in our text today, Isaiah tells him to strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. The prophet then goes on to describe the amazing signs that will accompany this deliverance. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert and burning sand shall become a pool and thirsty ground springs of water. You know, this passage in Isaiah just has so much to say to us today. Jesus is referred to this very text, as we read earlier, when John the Baptist sent his disciples to see if he was the one who was coming to save them. Jesus is the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God who appeared in the wilderness, who opened blind eyes and deaf ears and who loosed tongues and healed the lame. Jesus is the one through whom the Father poured out the Spirit so that streams of living water would flow out of the innermost being of all who believe in him. And it's through these streams of living water that he began the process of transformation and transforming the waste places in our lives and in our societies. This is an ongoing work. The author of Hebrews drew from the same passage to encourage believers not to become weary or anxious or crushed in spirit when God disciplines us because it's for our good. As he did with Israel, our father often works through various hardships to teach and train his children so that we can learn to resist Satan, share in his holiness, and have a close, intimate relationship with him, both as a community and as individuals. In fact, this is one of the ways we know we're God's sons and daughters. He corrects those whom he loves, and that's us. We don't often like suffering or being disciplined by God, do we? I don't know about you, but often my first response to difficult circumstances is to say, okay, God, please make me out of this one. As the writer observes, all discipline seems painful at the moment, but the reward is that the discipline and the struggles and even the suffering can grant us a deeper, more mature relationship with God. In the apostles, Paul's word, perseverance produces character and character hope. Our Lord also learned obedience from the things that he suffered and endured the cross for the pain, the joy that he knew would come after the pain. But it's not always easy to wait during suffering. This is where understanding the difference between passive and active waiting can help us develop spiritual tenacity. Passive waiting occurs when we lose long-term perspective and become discouraged or distracted. We get lethargic or tempted to give up. A kind of dark malaise can settle over our spirits that monks of old referred to as acedia, or you can say it acadia. I just discovered this world recently, and I like it because it draws together a lot of different concepts. As the monks observed, acedia often leads to apathy, a despair, a kind of bored restlessness that can make everyday life seem pointless, and it can rob us of joy. Have you ever experienced this? I have, uh, at different times in my life. A number of respected writers have observed for a long while now that this malaise has made deep inroads into our culture. Because of the speed of life in our busy 24-7 instant gratification culture, one author believes the greatest temptation in our time is impatience, 
in the full original meaning, which means a refusal to wait or undergo any kind of suffering. He notes that this trend, combined with a Western emphasis on self, has given rise to fragile, exhausted, rootless individuals who internally are a jigsaw puzzle of nervous conflicts. Got to think about that one for a minute. In, in his view, the modern person is torn between for the do- desire for belonging and connection, yet looks for consolation in a non-committal type of life. The contradiction of trying to keep all the relationships one has with ma- without making a full personal commitment ultimately leads to anxiety and loneliness, loss of, con- uh, of community, and then that fuels that deep underlying feeling that life doesn't have any meaning or purpose. The danger is that when a cedia strikes, we can lose sight of our true identity in Christ and slide into doubt or unbelief or cynicism. And then this can drive us to find pain relief through things like spending money or drinking too much or overwork and all the vices that we have around us in contemporary culture. In short, it can open the door to sin, which not only affects us but those around us. So it's critically important for us to guard against acedia. And this is where Advent can help it reminds us of the joy and the benefit of active waiting as opposed to passive waiting. This type of active waiting occurs when we lean into our life in Christ with expectant hope and faith that's rooted in a long-term vision of God's greater purposes for us and for all of creation. Like the farmer the Apostle James speaks of in our New Testament reading today, we're called to engage in the meaningful work of plowing and sowing and cultivating growth in God's kingdom, all the while enduring the hardships that come, trusting that God will continue to keep his promises, even if we don't live to see them in our lifetime. And that's what makes this kind of waiting different. It has a long-term view. This is the kind of patient waiting that faithful saints have practiced all throughout the centuries. As described in Hebrews 11, men and women like Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Joseph, nameless others, served God on earth while longing for a better country, a heavenly one. They were looking forward to the city whose designer and builder is God that John writes about in Revelation 21 and 22. Having our eyes fixed on this long-term vision And believing that God rewards those who seek him can help us help one another hold steady when hardships come. And we need this help, y'all, because we don't always understand how God's plans to fulfill his prophetic words like the ones we've been reading in the book of Isaiah. And we don't always know what he's doing behind the scenes. You can see this in Israel's story, right? They were surrounded by this fierce, powerful neighbors who dominated and oppressed them. So when God promised to come with vengeance and save them, it's really understandable why they expected the Messiah to be like the strong military leader who would crush their enemies. But what they didn't know at the time is that God sent Jesus to deal with a much greater adversary, one cloaked in darkness who is far more powerful than any earthly king. Jesus came to defeat Satan, God's enemy and ours, who became a tyrannical ruler over the whole world when humankind turned against God and sided with Satan in the garden. And the weapons the Messiah King would to overthrow him were so different than what was expected. Obedience, humility, and love. A love that was so great that he was willing to suffer a horrible and humiliating death on the cross to free us from the kingdom of darkness. 
No wonder so many people in Israel didn't recognize the king of glory when he appeared the first time. He came in a radically different way than they expected. The same is true for us, y'all. God often works in our lives in unexpected ways as well, which is why we need to learn patiently to wait for him. So the question is, where are you now? Are you discouraged, tired, fearful, faint-hearted, disappointed with God or feeling distant? a little apathetic or cynical maybe, drifting, harried? If so, the antidote scripture prescribes is to be still and lean into God's promise that many of us know so well. You could probably quote it with me. They who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. As Al taught last week, When we're faced with darkness or difficulties, we can be strengthened by trusting in God's promises and also standing together in corporate solidarity. We need each other, y'all. If you're struggling, there's no shame in it because we all have it sometimes. Just be honest and ask someone to pray with you. And if you see your brother or sister struggling, tuck in alongside them. Find a way to support and encourage them. And if you're doing okay, rejoice and revel in it with us. It will encourage the rest of us to keep leaning in as we wait together for the time when our Lord returns. And our joy will be made complete when we see him face to face. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that, Father, joy is not just a... uh, a moment of excitement or just being up, Father God, but our joy is deep and abiding and it rests on the foundation of your truth and on the foundation of your promises and that long-term vision that you've called us to a great and a high calling. And Father, help us fix our eyes on heavenly things. Let our heart long for that better country while we, we fully participate in your kingdom on the earth. Fill our hearts with love and joy and thanksgiving in this season. And we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Mission Red Bank Podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to know more about Mission Red Bank or have questions about what you've heard today, you'll find us on Facebook. Grace and peace to you, and may God's blessings surround you.